in the parable of the dishonest manager. Jesus holds up to us an example of how we might work out our own salvation, even with our wealth as tainted as it remains with injustice. Richard Helmer delivered this sermon on Sunday, September 23, 2007, at Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. In the name of the God of all our riches, amen. So autumn has arrived, and it's the time of year we start talking more openly about money at Church of Our Savior. And I feel what many of you may be feeling at this very moment. It's at this point that we suddenly are tempted to sit on our wallets a little bit more firmly or cling to our purses with a bit more worry. Am I right? Invitations to give to various causes are arriving in my mailbox on an irritatingly daily basis. How about yours? And then just this week, our bookkeeper let me and the senior warden know that the annual parish cash crunch has arrived, as it often does at summer's end. Many of us are behind on our financial commitments to the church. Hint, hint. And it's time for quarterly statements to go out and the annual appeal to begin. But I want to pause here for a moment and say a word of thanks to all of you. We are not in the deep water we were in this time last year. Because of your gifts over the last 12 months, we have reserves to keep the bills paid, at least until we have all caught our collective breath so that we can pick up with what fell through the cracks during the summer vacations. We do continue to need your support but thank you for all you have given so graciously in this community over the last year. Indeed, part of our work as church leaders is letting you know what our needs are and inviting you to contribute towards them. But that's not the end of the story for us as a Christian community. We are somehow different from many other charitable organizations. There is more at stake than simply our shared desire to cover salaries and keep the lights on, fund the programs, and serve the incessant needs of the greater world. Our gospel opens today with a rather strange parable about a manager who has been caught with his fingers in the proverbial till, or at least he has been so negligent that his incompetence wreaks havoc on his master's assets. It's a story both alien and familiar to us, familiar because now notorious icons like Enron and WorldCom and more recently the subprime mortgage banking system have produced a dark cloud of malfeasance that hangs over our cultural and economic landscape. But Jesus' parable is also alien to us because the way this shrewd yet unscrupulous manager gains his master's approval seems to be a good way in our highly regulated economy to land oneself in prison. So this manager writes off some of the debts owed his master, hoping to curry favor with people he may have to soon rely upon for his livelihood. 
It's so clever and self-serving, the master is suitably impressed. Now, Jesus doesn't say whether or not the manager gets to keep his job after this. That might be another parable for another time. What matters is that Jesus wants his disciples in the first century and wants us as contemporary disciples living in the 21st century to learn even from this unscrupulous man about how we deal with wealth. And to that end, I believe our translation of the gospel fails us in some measure today. I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson now. For whatever reason, the scholars working on the New Revised Standard Version softened the hard edges of the original Greek and rendered to us the rather euphemistic phrase, dishonest wealth, whatever that might mean. But the Greek says, more literally, the mammon of unrighteousness. That is, in fact, how the King James Version has it. Adikia is the Greek word in question, and in the language of the early Christianity, it has all kinds of dark implications attached to it. The lexicon lists them as injustice, sin even, and wickedness. It even stands in some biblical passages in opposition to God's truth. Whatever the author of Luke and possibly Jesus himself meant by adikia, it strikes me that simple everyday dishonesty is not the intended meaning here. It's something much more profound and pervasive. But maybe I would be wise not to pick a fight with learned biblical scholars. And maybe I would be wise, more importantly, as a parish priest, to consider leaving the euphemisms in today's translation well enough alone, because we're soon to start sending out invitations to commit regular financial gifts to Church of Our Savior for next year in our annual pledge campaign. There, you are forewarned. But it never seems good to shake our fingers this time of year and accuse one another of holding wealth gained through wickedness, does it? In Jesus' day, there was a very different economic model at work than ours, one that intentionally and unabashedly favored a very small class of landowners, elites, and the already very wealthy, often and visibly at the expense of the teeming poor. Even we, for all of our imperfections, would be rightly shocked to learn of the graft and corruption of Jesus' day and the brutal short lives of the people to whom he most often offered healing and comforting words about God's coming reign. But also in today's gospel, I think Jesus is pointing to something we know already, something with which most of us have at least a little bit of discomfort. For even in our highly regulated and carefully controlled economy, all of our money, our wealth, our worldly goods are tainted to some degree with injustice, with adikia. We in the liberal West, for sure, can hardly miss the frequent abuses we've heard about in sweatshops or the polluted industrial cities that now multiply in the global economy. We blanch sometimes at the cheap and the badly treated labor overseas 
that allows us access to inexpensive goods. We worry about the consequences of climate change. I come from a part of the world where the corporate agricultural industry has bought out the family farm and attracted the teeming poor from beyond our borders for ridiculously low wages so that the rest of us can eat low-cost bread and save money for our children. And actually, that part of the world isn't all that far away, is it? It begins just over the Oakland Hills. And we hear talk of divesting from Darfur, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and the list goes on. You know the appeals well. Sometimes it makes us angry and defensive and frustrated. We cannot seem to get adikia completely out of our wages, our saving accounts, or our portfolios. Even today, for all our desire for justice, we can't make our financial kitchen squeaky clean of graft and corruption. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, even if we as individuals are not directly responsible, someone has suffered unwillingly that we might lead more comfortable lives. I can imagine that Jesus wants us to continue trying our best to end economic injustice in the present day. But, and here's the good news for us, the mammon of unrighteousness, the wealth of adikia, is not the final word of the gospel for us today. Jesus is much more interested, it seems to me, in the unlikely example of this steward of adikia, this manager who stumbles for all his selfish reasons and motivations into generosity. And so should we be generous, Jesus says, if we call ourselves children of light. Generous in every way, generous in love, generous in forgiveness, even risking being generous to a fault. If God is indeed our master, we must be prepared to tell our sisters and brothers to sit down with their debts to God, and where there is a hundred owed, make it eighty, or fifty, or perhaps nothing. And Jesus is talking to us in the affluent West about our very real and ever-present spiritual need to be generous with our wealth. It is trite to say, isn't it, give because it's good for your soul. And yet, it is somehow true. Any of us who have given freely with no guarantee of anything in return have felt at times that indeed, as Jesus says elsewhere, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is how we as a church are different from other nonprofits and charities. We are not simply here to declare what we need to help, to pay our salaries, keep the lights on, fund the programs, and continue our work for the greater world. We are here to invite one another to give freely out of our wealth. Even if we are inviting each other to give freely, not to this community, but to another charity. Because as Jesus tells us, generosity is what the human soul and indeed the entire human family requires 
for its salvation. Serving God is fundamentally about generosity. Generosity redeems whatever injustice that taints the wealth we have received. It is the ultimate response to systemic evils of this or any day. Generosity transforms our economy and world by reflecting God's generosity of grace given, very often without being deserved. And from that generosity, Jesus reminds us we gain relationships. Relationships that are based not ultimately on selfish desire, but on self-offering. Relationships that reflect Jesus' self-offering, breaking the cycles of death in this world. Relationships of generosity that link us with eternity. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.